or treat our children just as you would any other child you know yes they look different they have different requirements but at the end of the day all they also want is to be treated with respect and to be treated like a normal child um, you know these times where we go out in public and um, we try to lead as normal a life as we possibly can and you know we go out we go to malls for example and people would stare at my son and the looks that we get is shock, disbelief, confusion. Um, and sadly enough, it's mostly adults who actually do stay, who, who make me feel uncomfortable as a parent. And it angers me. And, you know, um, I think that people will say, ah, you know, you must accept that this is what people are like. People need to change. Assalamu um, My name is Shahida Bule Murat. Um, I'm the mommy of Raid Abbas Murat and I'm here to tell you my story um, based on our journey with my son who suffers from a disease called achondroplasia. He's also on life support as well as suffers from epilepsy. In 2015 I was pregnant with my youngest son. Um, I already have two older children, five and two at the time. Um, I went for my scans, but I missed one or two scans. When um, my husband and I decided to go for our last scan before I was due, uh, we stood in the doctor's surgery and we noticed that the doctor was scanning he, while he was doing the ultrasound. We noticed that he kept on focusing on one area and you, you immediately notice when somebody's face changes and you know something is wrong. And my gut was telling me something was wrong. Um, I said to the doctor, you know, um, is everything okay? And he didn't reply. Eventually when he did respond, um, he said to me, look, the baby hasn't grown since my previous scan and he's just a bit worried. Uh, he needs to refer us to the fetal assessment clinic in Claremont. Um, I think the, the panic immediately kicked in because we knew something was seriously wrong. And eventually, I think a few days later, we went for our scan. Uh, that is where they told us that my son has a genetic disease called achondroplasia and uh, that is basically a mutation of the growth gene um, that determines what the child's height or, or size would be at birth. Um, achondroplasia as we know it or as many people would know it is dwarfism um, and at the time it felt like we were really kicked in the gut because you know there's a lot of stigma attached to people with dwarfism. Um, and we were fully aware of it and how we had to deal with it was something that we had to struggle with on our own. Um, we had a lot of support from both our families, yeah. alhamdulillah. Um, yeah, and so we had a few days to register, um, oh. but you know, it's your reality, so you face it head on. And alhamdulillah, two weeks later, my son was born through emergency uh, caesarean. And when he was born, he was healthy, you know, he was, uh, he was fat, he was chubby, he was just beautiful just as my other two children and every other child that is born, alhamdulillah. Um, you know, we carried on as normal as best we could, obviously now becoming uh, regulars at Red Cross Hospital. And at five months old, my mom noticed that his fontanelle was raised. Um, we took him to the pediatrician and they then immediately did some scans where they found that he's got some pressure on his brainstem and that the fluid was building up. Um, we were told that uh, he needs to go for surgery, but unfortunately he couldn't go because he had pneumonia. In that time, my son suffered uh, what is called cranial st um, stenosis, 
which was uh, the brain, the brain sort of um, being, or the spinal cord being punctured by the brain, um, sorry, by the skull. Um, and that unfortunately left him in a coma and paralyzed. For a couple of days, he was in a coma at Red Cross Hospital, where we were told that um, my husband and I have to prepare for my son not making it through the night. There was no brain function, there was barely a heartbeat, um, but you know, you just you keep believing that he's going to get better. Um, yeah, so we were told to call our families in and accept the fact that my son wasn't going to make it. If within those next two days my son didn't um, show any improvement, they would switch his life support off. Um, on the night, on, or on the day that they said to us to tell my two older children, we struggled. My five-year-old is very perceptive and he said to me, Mommy, is he dead? And I think that was for us the lowest point that we could ever reach. Uh, we still didn't at that point tell the older two what had happened. So we left and we went back to the hospital where my husband stood over the bed and he says to my son, uh, Assalamu alaikum buddy. And as he says that my son opens his eye. The one side of his face was swollen due to um, resuscitation that occurred that, that left him uh, swollen on, on the right side of his, of his face. He opened his left eye and the doctor said to us, don't get too excited. Um, you know, this is not necessarily uh, him moving or opening his eyes, it could be involuntary. We saw it obviously as a positive sign because, you know, as parents in a situation like that, you only look at the positive. You refuse to listen to anything or anyone else. We, you know, we, we reached out to family, we reached out to the community and we said to them, you know, um, keep him in your du'as, that's all we can ask for, knowing that full well that the parents to us are the most important or the strongest at the time. Alhamdulillah, as the months went on, Raid progressed. Um, he got better, he showed signs of improvement. Um, and I'll never forget, there was a couple of times where the, the neurosurgeon came in and he said to us, um, Raid is deaf, Raid is blind, he's going to be a vegetable. You know, we heard all these things. My daddy, for some reason, was there, was present every single time that news like this was delivered and I could see how it was affecting my daddy who was generally a very strong person. Um, it took its toll because I didn't stop fighting to a point where the doctors thought that I needed professional help but that was just me obviously not giving up on my child as would any other parent who's worth the salt and um, alhamdulillah you know um, I saw improvement I saw what he was capable of, the, you know, the, the uh, things he was regaining that he had lost, even though it was never what it used to be. Um, but alhamdulillah, unfortunately, after three months of his um, being, him being in ICU, I came home to shower because I'd been living at the hospital. I came home, um, I lived with my daddy, um, and I came home to find that my daddy had passed away in his sleep. Um, he died. Uh, so yeah, I came home to find that my daddy had passed away in his sleep. He had a heart attack. Um, I think that what traumatized me so much was not only is that a very difficult thing to experience is finding your loved one um, passed away, not expecting it, you know, because he was the strongest person I knew physically and emotionally. So he was always my support. This, the, you know, the the, the family's um, uh, strength. You know, not only his immediate family but his extended family. 
Um, and it made me think back to the day that my son got sick, the day that my son's heart stopped, that he had the initial cardiac arrest. I was home with my, my daddy and my two children. My husband had just gone to work. And I remember my daddy doing CPR on my son and being told by the doctors in the ICU at Red Cross that had my daddy not performed that CPR, my son wouldn't have made it to the hospital. And then they started calling him hero. And all I kept, you know, this it kept on playing in my mind, the hero has died, the hero has died, the hero doesn't die. Um, I remember trying to get hold of everyone. I remember running outside screaming, help me, help me. And for some reason, by Allah's grace, my neighbors for some reason were all standing outside. They came running in trying to assist me. Um, but Alhamdulillah, you know, that was also something that I never thought I would overcome. And I did. Um, you know, you carry on. You, you never forget that person. You never stop experiencing that loss. But you carry on. Um, it's been a uphill climb. There's been a lot of challenges. Um, you know, people say things to me like, um, you know, they just walk up to me and they say, oh, this child is, is your ticket to Jannah. Um, I understand people mean well when they say it, but it, it's not necessarily something that a parent in my situation wants to hear every time. Um, you know, because saying something like that essentially means that always be prepared for the worst. And we don't want to be prepared for the worst, even though we know it is in, in um, every sense uh, inevitable or possible, you know, highly likely. But I believe that they told me two days after he was admitted to the hospital, he wasn't going to make it through the night. Six years later, here we are. And this year will be his crown birthday. So he is defying the odds. And so Alhamdulillah, I say shukran to everyone who tries to support us um, by saying things. But you also have to understand that there's certain things that um, I would say as a parent, from my perspective, I don't always want to hear He's your ticket to Jannah. He's your ticket to Jannah. I want you to say, MashaAllah, look how cute he is. Or MashaAllah, look how well he's doing. That is what we need to hear. Encourage us. And in the same sense, you're encouraging them as well. Because I'm one of hundreds just within Cape Town who is living in a situation like we are. Um, you know, you, you adjust your entire life. You change everything. We were very social people, you know, we went out. If there was a function, we were there. If there was a party, we were there. If there was an event, we were there. Unfortunately, we can't. But I don't feel like we've missed out on anything. In fact, Allah has granted us the ability to adapt so well to his situation um, that we, we're not missing out on anything. Our lives just carry on as would everyone else's. Yes, we can't do what other people do, but um, yeah, like I say, six years down the line, we more blessed to have my son rather than to be without him. There's just a few things that I, as a mother of a child on life support with a disability, uh, physical and developmental uh, delay, would like to share with everyone out there. Um, first of all, treat our children just as you would any other child. You know, yes, they look different, they have different requirements, but at the end of the day, all they also want is to be treated with respect and to be treated like a normal child. Um, you know, there's times where we go out in public and um, we try to lead as normal a life as we possibly can. And, you know, we go out, we go to malls, for example, and people would stare at my son. And the looks that we get is shock disbelief, confusion, 
Um, and sadly enough, it's mostly adults who actually do stay, who, who make me feel uncomfortable as a parent. And it angers me. And, you know, um, I think that people will say, oh, you know, you must accept that this is what people are like. People need to change. My son is not going to change. Children with disabilities are not going to change. But we can. You know, we don't need sympathy, but try empathy. For me, empathy is very important because people, you know, they say things, they do things, they don't really realize the effect it has on us and our children. They don't understand the sacrifices and the challenges that we are faced with on a daily basis. You know, we get people who tell us how to look after my son. And this is always, every single time someone was never dealt with or experienced living and coping with a child with the severity of my son's condition. People say to you, you need to be a better person, you need to live right. I've even had family members say to me things like, this is karma, or what did you do that Allah is punishing you? And my response was to the person who said, uh, this is karma. You have to be careful, be mindful of what you say because you must still have children, you're still raising children. We didn't ever think this would happen to us and it did. We are grateful, alhamdulillah, and we are blessed, more than we are stressed. To the people who say things like, is Allah punishing you for what you did? Allah is not spiteful. Allah doesn't punish me for my actions through my child. If Allah wants to punish, then Allah will punish me. He is actually our blessing because we know how blessed we are to have Him. It has grounded us in a way that we never thought possible. Um, to the people who park in disabled bays in the malls, in shopping centers, please show some respect. If you are able to walk the length and breadth of a mall and of a shop, then you are very capable of parking in a normal parking bay and allowing us and others like us to use the bays that are allocated to us because they are already so far and few. And the thing is, um, I've noticed that when you do approach people who park in disabled bays, I, I, I sadly have to say that it's, it's people that come from my community, people from my background, and dare to say many times, or in most times, my experience, it's Muslim people. Um, and I don't say that I hold Muslims to a higher standard than I do anyone else, but I do expect that as Muslims we do understand that we have to have extra courtesy, you know, just that little bit more understanding and respect for people that Allah has made different. And don't park in parking bays if there is nothing wrong with you. Just as you're not allowed to park in a loading zone, you can't park in a disabled bay. We've got children with wheelchairs. My son is on life support. We cannot fit into a normal parking bay and get him out of the car comfortably and into his wheelchair when we are in a narrow, tight parking bay. Also to the people in the malls who stay, if you really want to know, by all means, come and ask. But don't stay because it's hurtful. You know, I am at a point where I would still say something to people. Um, one day somebody stayed so much and did sort of a U-turn and stayed again for a second time. And I said to the person, take a picture, it would last longer. Um, it's disrespectful and it's hurtful because my child is no different. 
But the thing is, we also these days, we I'm tired and if I leave the house, I don't really want to be bombarded by random strangers asking what happened to him, is he okay? What is, you know, one day I went to Kenoa Center and this lady came up to me and without saying anything, it was an elderly Christian woman and she came up to me and she says to me, uh, can I pray for him? And she just took his hand and she started praying for him. I really honestly appreciate that. It doesn't matter who you are, I appreciate that. So now my son is sleeping, we're all sleeping. But he has to be changed to a circuit that allows for him to be on this machine, which is called an external battery. This battery comes with his life support. This battery lasts for about six to eight hours, depending on how much it's charged. The problem with this is that when we reach stage five or stage six, this battery, like any other cell phone or piece of technology, needs to be work run flat and then we have to recharge it in order for it to be completely effective. In order to get this battery fully charged, we need to charge this battery for a very long time. With stage 6 that we experienced in December, unfortunately we didn't have enough time in between load shedding hours to recharge the battery fully. There was one day where um, the electricity went off and we weren't prepared for it. And my husband had to put my son in the car and drive him to my friend's house in a neighboring area so that he could be plugged into electricity. We're not negligent. We're human. These things happen, not just with us, with other parents as well. So many people come up to us and they say to us, get a generator, get the inverter, get all these little gadgets and contraptions. These things cost thousands of brands and when you're in situations like ours we can't work we have single income homes it's very difficult just to say to someone go buy this go get that go do this so alhamdulillah we were donated a generator by um, an engineering company we are very grateful the difference with the generator is that the generator uses petrol it gives off fumes the generator is noisy and when the power goes off in the middle of the night, this means that we would then have to go outside, switch the generator on, come back inside, connect my son to the machines. In two hours time, when the electricity power is back on, we have to go back outside, switch the generator off, and then come back inside again. If it's, for example, stage five or stage six, it goes off about two or three times a night. That means that every two hours, we would then have to be outside, coming inside, outside, inside, it's extremely tiring. It's taxing on us emotionally, mentally, it's draining. If you were to ask any parent in our situation, if you were to ask them what you're feeling right now, it would be anxiety, it would be stress, it would be exhaustion. Alhamdulillah, for the past few days, we haven't had load shedding, but we are bracing ourselves for when it does come back again. And I just want people out there to know that this is the challenges we are faced with. People have told us, go get an inverter, go get this, go get that. We can't just, we have to consider how much strength these machines use. We have to consider the fact that we can't just connect anything to these machines because if it does blow, then this costs over 200,000 Rand a machine, which is not spare change in anyone's pocket, unfortunately. So I just want to do a demonstration for you of what the process is when the electricity does switch off. So picture this, in the, in the middle of the night, you are fast asleep, 
and the electricity switches off. You're in your bed, your son is sleeping, immediately the machine kicks into backup battery mode. This battery only lasts for about an hour and a half to two hours. Due to the, the strain of load shedding on this ventilator, we've had parents experiencing problems with their machines, these machines needing to be serviced even more. The um, technicians have been coming out frequently to service the machines, to check out the machines, to make sure that they're working effectively. Because the minute that these machines are being overworked, switched on, switched off, backup battery onto external batteries, it does take wear and tear. But Alhamdulillah, um, you know, it's something that we face head on. It's just tiring. So I'm just going to get the dry circuit, which is the circuit we use when the electricity switches off or when we have to travel with him. The dry circuit. And on it, we have a little humidifier, which helps to filter the air and also act as a cooler for his throat so that his throat and lungs don't dry out. So when the electricity switches off, I'm just going to do a demonstration. This is what would happen. The machine would alarm and then we have to for example, disconnect this pipe, insert the dry circuit, connect my son to the dry circuit, which in the process wakes him up from his sleep and obviously causes a lot of distress with him. We then have to switch on the external battery which is currently charged halfway and then this machine would stand here and we would then have to take that plug out I just want you to just wait a few seconds just to hear what happens when I disconnect the electricity the machine will beep so that is the alarm that goes off to say that the internal battery has now kicked in so then we have to connect the external battery and it will say to you external DC power in use that's when you know okay that it is picking up that battery so then my son can sleep like this for two hours depending on how long the load shedding would last at that moment um, then what happens is as soon as the electricity goes back on again the same process this time we change him back to the wet circuit again waking him up and then again taking out the machine this is now the external battery that we now disconnect switch it off put the electricity back in where it again takes a few seconds just to pick it up there we go have to switch the connections and put my son back onto the wet circuit this can sometimes happen depending on what stage, like I mentioned, two to three times a night. And those, I think, are the most stressful evenings. Um, yeah, so, so my message to you is thank you for all the advice, thank you for the input, but it is tiring, <laughs> you know, unless you're physically experiencing it, you don't really fully understand. And is why I say, you know, everyone has something to say, but just try for once to put yourself in our shoes, understand the financial strain, understand the emotional, the mental, 
explain because we lose sleep, we stress, my son loses sleep. Not only does it affect us as parents and the patient, it affects everyone else. So my older two children are stressed as well. It affects them as much as it does us because they live it daily just as we do. Um, I have a message for the mommies and the daddies out there, all the grannies and the aunties, you know, in a situation similar to mine. Five years ago, I wasn't prepared for this. I'm going on my sixth year with my son, Alhamdulillah. All I can say to you, Muslim, Christian, whatever faith you're from, know that it does get better. Just don't lose the faith. At the end of the day, our children channel our strength. They channel our emotions. Um, there are days where you're going to feel like you're falling apart. But know that there is a program, and it's an amazing program that has been... Um, what well, it was started in um, by Sister Jane Booth at Red Cross Hospital. It's called the Breathe Easy program. You can find them on Facebook. Breathe Easy is one word, and um, this is a, is a good platform for you to um, you know to to acknowledge or understand that there are so many of us out there. Prior to twenty fifteen, I had no idea that there wa was children with these issues. But what I'd like to say to you is reach out, don't be afraid. If you need to talk, find someone who understands you. Go to, for example, to Red Cross Hospital, go to E-Ward, ask them to put you in contact with someone, with other parents who are able to be sort of a pillar of strength so that you can lean on one another when the need arises because it really, really does help. It's not the same talking to someone who's never been in your situation. But once you meet someone who is going through what you're going through, it really does help you. It's a challenge, but you will get through it.